Good evening, baseball fans. It is Monday, February 5th, and this is uh, podcast three. This is episode three that we've done today, so I don't actually know what number episode um, it is in the whole line of things, but it is episode three that we have done for you today because Kelsey and I, we grind. That's what we do here on Bourbon and Baseball. So if you don't already know, I'm Susie. That is Kelsey. This is Bourbon and Baseball. And tonight we have a very, very special guest um, for you tonight. Kelsey, would you like to take it away and introduce our lovely guest? I would. Thank you so much. We are fortunate enough to be joined by Justin Havens. You might know him as Jay Hay from Baseball is Dead, but Justin is a sports and social media producer, researcher, and podcaster who started his career as a researcher and producer with ESPN. He then took his producing talents to Barstool Sports before landing as social media marketing and managing editor for Major League Baseball. You, of course, know him today as co-host on Baseball is Dead, where he stays rooted in his passion for baseball statistics and growing the love of the game. So thank you for joining us tonight, Justin. How's it going? Thank you very much for the intro. It's going great. I'm looking forward to this. Good. Well, um, uh, we also are looking forward to it, but I totally forgot because, you know, this is episode three that we've done today uh, to give you guys the warning. This is a wow. rated R podcast, rated R podcast for oh, all yeah. of the adult content. Not not that kind of adult content. Unfortunately, we don't get paid for that. So <laughs> just all of the adult language, because, you know, that's what we do here on on bourbon and baseball. So if expletives are not your thing, you should probably not listen to this and or watch. That's not not the thing for you. So if there's tiny ears listening, probably put some earmuffs on them. But I'm not going to judge. That's that's you do you boo. So uh, with that said, away we go. Justin, I'm not sure where you grew up and like were born in. I didn't creep yep. on you that hard, but I did see that you went to the University of Illinois, which is in Champaign, Illinois. And I grew up in like the Peoria, Illinois area. So okay. we're both very familiar with that thrilling part of the world. But I want to let's start kind of back there where you earned a degree in English and literature, because I was interested to see that considering where you are today and how that kind of all may or may not run together. So how did you ultimately find your path into sports and baseball research? Yeah, so I did graduate from the University of Illinois with a degree in English, um, uh, English and literature, minor in history. It was that I found my way to baseball research was mostly good fortune. Um, so it, I started working for a series of weekly newspapers in the, uh, the same area of Connecticut that ESPN is located in. Okay. After I'd already interviewed at ESPN for their research department, um, so I was working just in the in. I mean, if you're familiar at all with the Connecticut area, it was just in the general Hartford area covering high school, JV, and varsity sports. Um, and then ESPN called and said, "You know, do you want to come work in the research department?" And in order to get into the ESPN research department. Like you have to take a sports, I don't know if you still do, but you had to at the time have to take a sports knowledge test that was timed. Like I still remember, I vividly remember like where I was, how I felt at the time that I sat down to take that test because you could, at the time at least, sure it's changed, but at the time you could use the internet to research answers. But if you took, uh -huh. 
if you took time to do that, you were you had absolutely no shot at finishing the test. Okay. So yeah, you, you it was just kind of like you, you were self canceling uh, on the result. So wow. Yeah, it was it was a real experience, and I was fortunate enough to do. They didn't tell you exactly what you got, but uh, good enough to get to the next level, and then flew out to interview at ESPN, and then I think it was it was a comical amount of time, uh, just a crazy amount of time later. They called to offer the job, and um, I obviously accepted very quickly um, and started out in the research department. And um, so the fact that I graduated with a degree in English um, and then ended up at ESPN in the research department was like, like kind of a joke, really. Um, sure. <laughs> like other than the broad base of, and I'm not being totally dismissive. Like other than the, you know, it, it gives you a broad base of skills. I think to have. Right like an English degree or a literature degree. And I still obviously get a lot of, of that, get a lot out of it in my current life and what I like to do in my free time. But um, as it relates to where I am now, it's like almost totally unrelated. So did you just, you just had a vast array of knowledge of all of the sports for ESPN? Yeah, was... Are we like... Yeah, I was just kind of a sports geek growing up. Like I, I played sports, uh, but like none at a tremendously high level, and certainly none past high school. Um, oh, okay, so you weren't you weren't an athlete like uh, like Jared were was. No, I think actually, okay. I think Jared and I were very similar athletes. Um, <laughs> I think yeah, much closer than the descriptions might uh, otherwise indicate. But um, no, I was. Uh, I wasn't tremendous, but I was very interested. Um, and it really wasn't until college that baseball like set, sort of reseparated itself in my mind as to like, this is something that could like maybe not be a career at the time, but like I became like interested all, all over again with like, I started reading the Bill James baseball abstract stuff. Um, you know, his rankings of, players over the history by position, which was just like right up my alley. I was like, oh, this is great. Like somebody's put a like a quantitative uh, like number or ranking on like all of these players I've read about and want to read more about. So like, let's dig in on this. And Rob Nyer and like all the, the original baseball prospectus people who have all yeah. disseminated and gone to do various things. But uh, it was... Uh, a very exciting time to like get back into baseball with some of the new sabermetric uh, and viewpoints that were being kind of like embraced or at least like acknowledged throughout the game. So um, I, I, I'm not of that capability. Um, like I just don't have the programming skills um, or the modeling skills necessary to do that sort of work, but I can certainly uh, appreciate it. And so um yeah, but as far as the ESPN specifically, it was um, – I got in with a broad base of, of sports knowledge. And then once you get in, uh, if you're interested, you can pursue, like, specific sports paths. Like, as you guys probably know, like, ESPN has NFL-specific shows and NBA-specific shows and not so much anymore, but had <laughs> baseball-specific shows and Baseball right. Tonight. Um, so when I was there – Baseball tonight was a seven day a week, you know, like one to three times per day sort of show, um, kind of wall to wall um, at night. And 
So it was a really fun time to work on the show. But I eventually made my way over to just baseball for the most part, at least during the season. Um, and then I did that for the vast majority of the time that I was at ESPN. Wow. That sounds slightly hectic, but also um, like it would be a lot of fun. Um, oh, it was but, great. But only in a no, certain time frame of life, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, live sports obviously necessitates that you're working at a certain period of time uh, during the day, seasonal, um, not like right. in terms of necessarily employment, but just like, you know, there there are six to eight month stretches where it's a pretty heavy emphasis on, on what you're doing at work. Uh, it absolutely coincided with when it was best in my life to do that kind of stuff. And I got to travel for, um, you know, all the tentpole events for Major League Baseball all-star game, world series, winter meetings, spring training, um, you know, all the good stuff. And, you know, I have memories that, uh, you know, I legitimately treasure and, you know, relationships and stuff like that. But, um, it would be hard to replicate not as I'm not like necessarily an old person, but, um, <laughs> you know, it'd be different now, um, than it was, you know, 10 years ago or whenever I was doing it, uh, or was in That's okay. We're, it. But, Kelsey and I are both old, so we're, we're right there with you, right there with yeah, you. So, you know, um, it actually, uh, it actually goes into our ne really next question. Um, what was your transition like um, from TV into the digital content world that we're all kind of in now? Yeah, it was kind of uh, not necessarily forced, but I just sort of jumped into it because um, at ESPN it was primarily either research or then when I was a producer, like linear TV um, focused. And then when I went to Barstool, uh, obviously it was, um, there was nothing linear about it. And so that was like, I, I mean, I guess technically that was the first digital show I'd ever produced was the show with Dallas and uh, Jared and Brian Wilson, uh, which was, you know, I ta I've talked about it before, but for me, that's like, the most like hidden gem, like underrated before it's time, like product uh, from the baseball environment, because like, I just, you know, I just remember sitting in, you know, what they, what they were calling a control room and uh, just like having tears in my eyes and how funny the three of them were together. Um, and <laughs> it was a moment in time and we lost video rights and, I'm not sure Brian Wilson and, you know, was ever going to stick around for a multi-year stretch of time, hindsight, all right. that sort of stuff. But that was the first digital show that I'd ever done. So it was, it was an interesting transition. Like, I think I immediately, if I'm being honest, I think I immediately missed, um, you know, the live, like the live, live environment that goes with live mm -hmm. TV. And that's tough to replicate in like a closet control room when you're doing a digital show that's that is streaming yes right on twitter and facebook at the time but like you know it's not quite the same so like the adrenaline the adrenaline rush was a little bit of a uh, of a come down um but in terms of like what i've done since it's i you know it's been pretty smooth it's it's almost like i can't remember a time before these mediums existed um and it's it's kind of we it, it feels weird in hindsight that 10 years ago or 15 years ago when i was 
first, like when I was literally first beginning 15 years ago or 10 years ago when I was, you know, in my late twenties, like working on baseball tonight, it was that a lot of this stuff wasn't happening in a more robust manner feels strange in hindsight. Not that I was suggesting it should have been necessarily, but it just feels natural at this point, I guess. Not necessarily the being on camera stuff. Like I'm doing that a lot more um, in the baseball's dead era than I did previously. Um, mm -hmm. Like in my role of starting nine and, um, you know, bouncing on and off uh, the mic uh, in that role. But, you know, it's it's been fun. I've really enjoyed the 2023 season. And, you know, I'm looking forward to, to more stuff uh, in 2024. And hopefully we get to do, you know, like some more in-person stunts and stuff like that. Well, you, uh, one of the things that I'm really excited to talk to you about, or just interested to talk to you about, I guess, is Susie is a photographer. I'm an actor. We are like creative people. And that's obviously what brought us to this space as well. But you strike me, at least from what I've you know heard you talk about, you like structure, analytics, research, you prioritize being prepared, all that kind of stuff. And that is that is me. It's why I struggle as an artist sometimes. So I'm interested to know a little bit more about how you manage yourself in this, this world, in this industry that is not only constantly evolving, but doesn't offer a lot of stability. So really whatever you're willing to share from just your expectations of your career to the finances, to the just day-to-day -day of like turning it on and off, how do you make it work? <laughs> yeah. So I guess, I guess, in, in reverse, like the, the day-to-day -day stuff, like I, I've always really loved, I guess, since, since I've had a taste of both, ultimately, I've loved the idea of working like kind of heads down full bore for like 75% of the year or 70% of the year and then having, okay. having a third, you know, a chunk of the year where it's like, okay, if I reach this point, then I'm not shutting it down but like there, it, it does slow down considerably or it's a shift. I'm doing other things, whatever it might be like that to me is a, and it, it's entirely personal. Uh, that to me is a helpful setup to get through a given year or a given cycle or whatever it is. And to, you know, to set natural goals um, for myself or whatever project I'm working on uh, throughout the season. So I like, I'm, I've had a wide variety of experiences within media and within baseball, but I'm also siloed in the fact that like 90% of my like real professional working career has come at during, like has followed the cadence of a major league baseball season. Sure. So, um, or at least a sports season. So like, yes, it's what I prefer, but also like, you know, m maybe, chicken or egg sort of deal, I guess. Um, but I, I guess that's how I would start answering your question is that I, I do like that. I like that rhythm. Um, so that part makes it easier for me. Um, in terms of goals and like uh, career stuff, I'm like deeply uncomfortable answering like career, not that you asked for like career or you are asking or like, or even for the audience or asking for career advice necessarily. But like, in my opinion, like so much of the successful things that have happened in my life or my career, my professional career have been like, you know, uh, you know, fractions away from 
being from not happening or from being failures or and then like the the areas where I've been super disappointed about how things have played out. I, I feel like it cuts the same way almost where it's like, ah, if I'd been like a beat sooner on that, or if I'd like what, you know, it could have played out totally differently. So like, other than like the real basic stuff of um, if you're going to talk about something, I feel like you should be informed on the topic and that you should like treat people <laughs> with respect in like the professional and personal environment. Like, that that's that's kind of how I manage my career and that's for better or worse. Like there's certainly been ebbs and flows as far as my, my life has gone um, and where it's going. But and then finances like uh, media is obviously tough. It's it's been tougher. Like it's it didn't feel this dire uh, in a lot of ways um, when I started out. I like the news. Like I started like I'm I'm so like it's moving so quickly that the beginning of my career, like newspapers were still a place where you could like yeah. start out and be like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's where I interned at, after college. Like when I was just like, um, when I was just taking like individual assignments basically and going out and getting paid per article. Uh, it's what I took a, my first job in Connecticut. As I said, I moved across the country to get paid at the time. Like I'm not exaggerating. I think it was twenty thousand five hundred dollars for a full time job, um, working at the newspaper, which is like, I found it to be about as little as you can possibly make and live on your own, um, <laughs> at least in two thousand eight or yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and, but it it, uh, you know, I, I I I'm fortunate enough to have received good financial advice in my youth from many parts of my family, because there's a lot of people who are much more financially savvy, not even rich, but just like much more financially savvy or employed in that industry um, than I am. And, um, you know, my current status allows some level of freedom, um, given that my spouse uh, is also very successful in, well, I shouldn't say also very successful, is successful in the, like the media uh, producing world. So, um, you know, I have a lot of good bounces that are in my favor, but certainly, um, you know, I think, yeah, I think, I think that's my answer. Yeah. I, well, I think it's so easy to ask, like, how did you get from point A to point B? But that's an impossible question to answer for most people. And like you couldn't. I mean, how did I get? <laughs> how did I get from a series of weekly newspapers to ESPN? Uh, well, uh, I clicked on literally. I clicked on the ESPN website, and I I said they said work here, and I said that sounds cool, okay. and I clicked it, and I applied for a position, and then out of you know dozens of people I got lucky and was able to get a position in their research department where like if you had replaced me with someone else who applied or who was a finalist uh ESPN would have been fine and that person's life would have been different as mine would have been so it's just like yeah I I, how did I get from point a to point b like I don't know like kind of like a ping uh, like a like a you know ping ball a ping pong ball you know like bounce it around right yeah it's like it's whatever Yeah, I think, and maybe this is something that has changed with the times or sometimes I'm like, is it the time or is it, is it me? Is it my age in this time? And maybe it's a little bit of both, but 
you know, growing up, it was so easy to be, to look at people who were doing what you wanted to do and try to follow their path. And in some professions, maybe that is still the case, but in professions like yours, it, it just isn't, and it never really was. So it's, it's interesting to, you know, kind of just hear everybody's path because everyone's a little bit different. Well, it also certainly feels like there, for better or worse, there are more paths, right. That you can go to like, or the funnels are, they may not all lead to like tremendously successful places, but there are more funnels that you can take and, and paths to pursue. So I think, and you know, anybody can, can flip on a mic and start recording a podcast. Like I, I record podcasts with my fantasy buddies all the time. And it's like, it gets, it gets distributed to like 12 people and it's a great time. We all, (laughs) yeah, we all have a good time, but it's like, so, but you know, I also view that as practice in a lot of ways because yeah. you know I'm I'm getting better right. for you know what I uh, you know what I do semi professionally too. So it's um, it it is a very difficult thing, but at the end of the day, you have to just like do it, uh, and that's what we're doing. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, I love the segments on Baseball's Dead when you like go back and do the, you know, should this person have won MVP that year? Oh, and I, cool. so I only became a fan of baseball in 2018. So when you got like, when you and Jared talk about like the barstool days, I don't, I don't have a fucking clue what you're talking <laughs> about because I only found you in Baseball's Dead era. And um, so basically, anytime you talk about the MVPs from yesteryear, I'm, super intrigued because I'm all, I I had no idea. I had no idea that that person was actually very good or very bad in some, in some cases. So um, how long does that, do those segments take you to kind of research? It's funny you say like you started listening in X year or your baseball, like intense baseball awareness goes back X year, like X number of years, because sometimes I get inside my own head with those sorts of things. And that segment in particular, because I'm like, is this obvious? Like, is this something that I should be including in this segment? And like your comments confirm that like, I I should not be assuming anything about the 1978 NLMVP. You know what I mean? Like for the vat, like for 99.8% of our listeners and the people who it is repetitive for can like, you know, eat rocks or whatever. It's just like, you know, we'll, 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 we'll deal with that percentage of the people. But, um, those, I, I, I'll, I'll answer it two ways. Like I do, I do genuine research for the, that segment. It's not just like a mm-hmm. throwaway. Like I'm not, I am taking it very seriously and I have, I sit down and I do the work for it. It doesn't take me that long to do just because it's basically what I've been doing for like 10 <laughs> right. to 15 years. Like some of it paid some of it not like some, like sometimes I just do it for fun. Sometimes it's like part of a job, but um, like it took me longer at the beginning because I didn't necessarily know like what points I wanted to hit or like what the things I wanted to emphasize every single time. Um, But once I got a little bit of, once I got a little bit of a template and was like, here are the things I want to look for each time. And then here's the percentage of stuff that I'm just going to kind of like, take me wherever, um, you know, mm-hmm. and I just hop on stat head on baseball reference and I start searching things and it's like, you know, even if it's just super ran- a, a super random collection of numbers, like all for whoever we're talking about 
is superlative in some way. They were in the MVP right. conversation. So there's something cool to say about all of these guys, even if some of it is like backhanded because you're saying that we should take your MVP away. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's a lot of fun. It's like a per like I'm glad Jared suggested it. It's a perfect, in my opinion, kind of off season segment. Like I'm already, we haven't even done, I don't know what percentage of the MVPs of all time we've done. Well, let's say we've done, you know, 10% of all of the MVPs so far. I'm already looking forward to doing the Cy Youngs because there are just as many stupid Cy Youngs <laughs> all time. Um, but it also helps me because it's like, you know, I, I've gone through most of this stuff before, um, mm -hmm. but not necessarily in this format or or for this purpose. And it's nice to kind of like re-research some of this stuff and be like, oh, yeah, this was, you know, this is Pujols' third MVP. Like this was the last one he would ever win, et cetera, like we did this week. But it's I'm glad you enjoy it. And it's it is fun to do. I enjoy doing. Oh, yeah. No, looking looking back at all of the the history of of like the big games and whatnot, uh, my mind was actually blown when I found out that Nelson Cruz actually played in the field because in my head, Nelson Cruz is a DH and at no point in time should be in any sort of outfield but, capacity. <laughs> by the way, since you brought that up, like that is the probably the craziest night of work that I've ever had in my life was game game six um, of the 2011 World Series, uh, obviously. Rangers Were you there? Finals. I was there. Oh. Um, I was in I, the vast majority of the game. It. I was in the production truck, um, and I was in the Reese. That was the first World Series that I got to go and be the research, the on-site researcher for for Baseball Tonight, and like what? whatever. It, nobody's going to like cry any tears for me, but like the setup is such where just to like take it inside here briefly the the setup is such where you have a little laptop on what is like a little like fold up cart table at best maybe <laughs> sometimes like sometimes like a box right you're typing on a box um and it is like we're talking the the weather almost invariably is is extremely cold in most of these spots at this point in the season yeah. and it and that was the case in St. Louis too because that's where we were we were not in Texas and um, so that's, that's like, and you're on, you're on the, you're on the stage, like off to the side, off camera from where the talent are going to be. And you're typing and every single, like you're trying to build as many graphics and create as many like interesting contextual notes and tidbits as you possibly can about what the outcome looks like it's going to be, or the events that are happening in the game. So if you can imagine right. in game six, it looks like it looks like one thing and then something happens and then it looks like it's going to be the like oh oh the hero is this guy and then it's and then it's not it, then it's Josh Hamilton it's like holy shit Josh Hamilton just hit one of the biggest it's one of the biggest hits in world series history and then oh wait actually it's going to be David fucking Freeze who's the hero and it's just like <laughs> you're changing everything back and forth and it's like and sometimes it's just like, well, I just spent 15 minutes doing that. That gets thrown directly in the trash because nobody gives a fuck yeah. about like what, you know, that, that fucking Josh Hamilton hit really anymore. Like we'll get to that like right. two hours in maybe or something like that. But so, and obviously it was a, it was a confluence of, 
uh, it being my first season and that game being <laughs> like absolute bananas in you know, the working environment being, and that's not unique to baseball tonight or anything. That's just like what researching on the road for a live studio or a live show is. Right. Um, but it was awesome. Um, and I'll never forget it. And like, I listen, I'm, I don't, I might've even been pulling for the Rangers like a little bit at the time. I don't really remember why. Maybe, maybe I was, maybe I wasn't, but like, I, I go back and I listen to Joe Buck's call about it, like, you know, the semi-tribute mm -hmm. to, to Jack or whatever. And, you know, the free, like, just watching the ball go out and, like, all the sequences. And I just go back and I'm like, man, that was – still get chills watching it. That was a magic, magical game. And you were yeah. a part of it. That is so cool. Thank you for sharing yes. that. I'm, oh, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. a Cardinals fan. So as soon as you said 2011 World Series, I'm like, this is what I'm here for. We're still no, living for it. Yeah, that was <laughs> – I mean, it was just a fantastic World Series, too. Obviously, Game sure. Six was the peak, but that was uh, that was really good stuff. Yeah, after watching that, I was like, "So is is David Freeze like a badass?" And I just yeah, I just don't know. Like, so is David or... a legend in St. Louis or something? I've never heard of him. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, let me let me tell you. I mean, about it's as like... good as it gets for like you know baseball being kind of like a magical sport or whatever. Like just. I mean, it, you know, in terms of World Series MVPs, right? You don't get yeah. more. You, you don't get a lot more generic in terms of their overall career contributions than right. than David Freeze <laughs> yeah. among World Series MVPs, right? It's not even yeah. a knock. It's like actually super cool. Mm -hmm. um, and like the World Series MVPs in history, who are like that dude made like one. Like David Freeze made one All Star team. Um, just kind of, I don't know. It's cool when that happens. That's the tra trajectory that Jeremy Payne is going to be on. I mean, <laughs> we just love Jeremy Payne's biceps. That's what we love. Oh, Jeremy okay, Payne. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that in. yeah. Oh yeah. I I don't don't get me wrong. I do love me some Jeremy Payne, <laughs> but hit hit a freaking slider, man. Hit a freaking slider. Anyway, so yeah, I I was like, does, does David Freeze just get all of the free drinks in St. Louis and only in St. Louis? Like when he's like, hey, I'm David Freeze, and nowhere else? Because I I don't know. But it was it was super you interesting should. to me to to find out that that David Freeze was not actually a, a superstar baseball player. I'm like, but but he did all the the things in the World Series. Like, what what do you what do you what do you what do you mean? And I love like, the, let me let me tell you something, Susie. I love those guys who who do crazy stuff at like the the like outset of your baseball awareness, whenever that happens to be, at whatever age it is for the for any individual person. And it's like, well, that you know, that, that was like one, that was like the fourth name that I knew when I started paying attention to baseball. And you're telling me five years later that that person kind of sucked, like wasn't really yeah. <laughs> part of the fabric, you know, like, it was, I don't know. Like, do we all have those people? I have those people from my youth um, where it's like, you know, I had like 18 of their baseball cards and I go back and look and it's like, yo, that guy washed out like four hours after you got those baseball cards. <laughs> Well, like I said, uh, you know, my my baseball starting my baseball love started in 2018 and then overall baseball knowledge kind of started coming in like 2020. Mm -hmm. So when I found out that Madison Bumgarner was actually a badass, Ooh, my mind was yeah. blown because my my version of Madison Bumgarner had like a five, six ERA and I'm all. Yeah, it's tough. What, what, do, what do you mean to tell me that Madison Bumgarner was an actual like really good pitcher? And they're all 
absolutely sees you all. Mm, I, I don't, I don't believe that. I joke about that with Pujols sometimes, uh, or not with him. He's never been on the podcast, but about <laughs> him um, on the podcast where it's like, there's whole generations of fans who only know him as like, kind of like, kind of like a very Maybe. slow, unathletic, like just kind of guy who was hanging on. And it's like, yeah, and you're you are very clearly by your timeline one of those people. Uh, you missed him by, <laughs> you missed him by quite a bit actually. Um, and it's just crazy because like, there was a whole decade where he was the baddest motherfucker post bonds on the planet. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, um, like if if you weren't there, you had a whole other decade to watch him, and he was very forgettable for like ninety five percent of that up until that pretty cool, you know, flare at the end, but. Yeah, no, you're you're a walking example of what I've joked about. I'm not oh, sure yeah, I've no, ever absolutely. met or discussed Pujols with somebody who's an actual example of that. So that's you know enlightening. Oh yeah, yeah but no, it's, my it's even more wild because as as a Cardinals fan, like I think we almost would have been more surprised if he didn't have the season that he had in 22, just because that's the Pujols that we all knew. And you know when he went to the Angels, yeah. we forgot about him and we're too hurt to pay attention for a while. So it worked out really well for us, but that is, that's a, a very good example. <laughs> Did work out really oh, well. Yeah. For the yeah. Yeah. No, um, my, when I started, when I first started watching baseball, um, my husband was like, Oh no, we, we absolutely fucking hate the Cardinals. I'm all, we, we do. Why, why do we hate the Cardinals? Like, like these Cardinals like over here. And he's like, Oh yeah, absolutely. Mom. Come again. Why? And he's like, for years, we were in the NL mall. <laughs> what? what are you saying to me right now? So he just, he just all of the, all of the mind blowing was, was happening. And then um, there's, you know, obviously still very hurt Astros fans with the NL and the Cardinals. I'm all, I have none of that. I just hate the Yankees. That's, that's all I hate. I'm very sorry about that. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really funny to me when, when people talk to me about Cardinal stuff, I'm all. Mm-mm. That's before baseball, CZ. I have no frame of reference. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, so, don't, but don't bring up yeah. Brad Lidge and Albert Pujols around that era of Astros fans. It could get ugly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know of what you're speaking. I've never actually seen it. Yeah, it's N- that's NL, Astros NL baseball. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that's you know, that's the era that my that my husband watched and you know was yeah. a fan of, and so. When we talk about Astros stuff now, he's like, you don't even know, Susie. You don't even know. You don't even appreciate what you have. Well, that's fair. That's fair. But, yeah. It's been but, um, quite a long time now. I mean, at this point. Yeah. What was it? To, um, I had to look. 2013. Yeah, so we're, we, we've got a full decade in the books in the AL. Yeah. But, you know. Fans, and then a lot of fans forget just, the NL Central era. We just uh, and then tanked for you know ever. So that's there's that. Like, it's going okay. It's that's going okay, okay too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> but you know, speaking of of the Astros, uh, what what do you think the chances of the Astros actually doing anything this season would be? Oh, I mean, I think it's you have to like their chances entering the season. I I mean, to me. We'll see how it shakes out exactly uh, once the projections come out and all that sort of stuff and rosters are finalized. Everybody makes their way through spring training with their various injuries. But 
I think the three AL West teams who competed for the division and wild cards last season are going to be the three teams that do it again. And there wasn't much separating these teams um, either by record or I think by talent last season. And I think, I, I think that's mostly the case again, like some team, like I think the Astros are, have probably gotten, I mean, they've probably, they've made the most definitively impactful addition of any team in the division. Um, I would say in the form of Josh Hader, but you know, not to diminish, but that, that he is just quote unquote, a relief pitcher. It's not like they added right. a 200 inning starting pitcher or some, you know, uh, MVP caliber middle of the order bat. So if that's the the biggest needle mover in the division, that's that's manageable for the other teams. I think. Given the, given Houston's track record, uh, you know, I, I know the the Rangers just won the World Series, but I think they have to be viewed as at least co favorites in the division to start the season or or to start spring training. Uh, given when we're talking. Um, and I don't think I don't, the know. Mariners... I don't know about a co-favorites. Now she you wants think, to you think outright you yeah. should you think you should be outright favorites over the World Series champions. That's your opinion. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Okay, in your heart. Yes. Right. In my real, heart, that's yeah. a real fan talking. Um, <laughs> don't be a yeah, homer. I, mean, I, I, I think yeah. that's going to be. I, I think the projections will end up falling within a couple of games of each other. So you know, you could you could argue either way. I don't think I could go passionately in either direction. Um, you know, I think what I'm comfortable saying is that the Mariners have the best starting rotation on paper of the three teams, and I think they have the worst offense yeah. of the three teams. So wh where that all shakes out, and I think, you know, they've made a lot of changes to their team, but how impactful or are the guys that they've brought in? Like, yeah, I think Jorge Polanco, as I discussed, as we discussed on Baseball said today, like I think Jorge Polanco is a good pickup, but like the other guys – that they've added are kind of like coin flips as to whether they're going to be good or available or like upgrades on what they had before. Um, right. Whereas Josh Hader is at least a definitive upgrade and sets them up to have like a really, really fearsome one, two, three punch at the back end of that bullpen, how the rest of it shakes out. We'll see, but that's that's a great place to start is having your three most important believers be really awesome. Right. Yeah. So I, I well, guess the answer is I think, I think they will be viewed as very serious uh, AL West contenders, and I think very serious World Series contenders coming out of the AL until proven otherwise. I mean, there's no, nothing about last season suggested that they can't win the World Series in a given year moving forward, to me, at least. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, absolutely. Dusty Baker is standing right there in our way, so. <laughs> we not just, uh, not This is true, but, but last... But I feel like last season we we could have had a shot as well, but he was not wasn't managed uh, as well as as you would hope. So hopefully Joe Espada will will take the reins and and do do what we think he will actually do and use his players properly. You know, a la putting Evan Carter in with Bruce Bochy. Bruce Bochy is my favorite. So hurts hurts to say. Hurts to say. That's that's a tough legacy to leave here on bourbon and baseball for Dusty uh, Dusty Baker, World Series champion Dusty Baker. Yeah. Mm, mm -mm. No, no. I I still I still you maintain do, that that she's that twenty that finger blame at somebody, and he's yeah. he's yeah. the target. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we've decided it's him. 
Well, no, not all him, not all him, but the, okay. there's, there's a, there's a hefty portion of it. There's okay. a hefty portion of it. Yeah. That, that will rely on him. So what, what's um, your, you know, pa- here's, a, I know you're asking most of the questions. What's your patience level here with, uh, with Espada? Like what, what's your, what's your game sample that you're willing to allow him before questions start to be asked? Um, I'm, I'm willing to, I'm willing to give him the entire season because we obviously, we gave, we gave Dusty full run of, of all of the things. So, um, this team runs itself too. It'll be fine. Hence, hence why Dusty Baker got a ring in, in 2022. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's, that's certainly, yeah. Although to be fair, that's in my estimation applicable to like a good chunk of managers who end up winning world series. Um, I remember hearing Kurt Schilling talk about Bob Brenly and the, his contributions to the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks 2001 World Series championship. And uh, let, let's just say whether they could have had a cardboard cutout of Bob Brenly, and it sounds like they could have won the World Series. So, um, you know, it varies. It varies. That's, but Well, that's, that's fair. That's fair. But, you know, sitting here like – Rangers fans, cover your ears because I I'm gonna say nice things about you and it hurts my soul. Um, but watching Bruce Bochy literally half faith in Evan Carter, giving him full reign and being like, "All right, Rook, let's go." I know that I got Travis Jankowski over here that that's been doing it for me, but you know what, Evan Carter, let's go. You you've shown me what what to do. Here you are, and yeah, then all, all- and then like moving him up in the batting order, like. Within the whole, I'm all. I'm sorry. Is is Evan is Evan Carter batting cleanup in the World Series, in his all rookie right. season? Oh, that's lovely. Okay. I did not. I, um, I admittedly did not come prepared to discuss the nuances of Dusty Baker's 2023 <laughs> managerial track record. So, with that caveat, I'm, however, however, I'm ma- I'm very disappointed. From a macro perspective, I think. If we're doing the comparison to Bruce Bochy, which is a really high bar, right? Not uh-huh. many people have won four World Series titles. Very few as a manager. Um, but if we're going to do that comparison, I think we also need to remember the context in which Dusty Baker took the job as, as Astros manager at the time. And that was basically oh, yeah. to bail them the, the out, right? Like that uh, yeah. was... That was, I'm going to come in as a trusted, like, good face to put on this very ugly problem. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, he did that, like, as well as anybody oh, could have. Tremendously. And, and that they won a, a World Series over his tenure, to me, still has to be viewed. Even if he was, I'm not going to argue whether he was a net gain or a net positive for, uh, for the team. But that they won mm-hmm. a World Series during his tenure to me has to be viewed. It has to be viewed as a success. Then. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I just wish that he would have taken 2022 and ridden off into the sunset and gone to his vineyard <laughs> and enjoyed it all. That's that's what I really wish. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I bet that's he I really think. Wish. I bet he also regrets that decision. He does. He does. Um, apparently, the bloggers and the and the tweeters were were too much. Yeah, he was talking about you. And, yes, that. Yes. Well, I'm not a blogger well, though, just the tweeters. Just the tweeters, yeah. Yeah, but you're nice on Twitter, you said. So you don't <laughs> talk nasty. For the most part. 
for the most part. Okay. While we're talking about regrets, I got to get some Cardinals talk in here because, yeah. you know, nothing we can regret nothing more than how the 2023 season played Ooh. out. And coming into the season, I think the thing that we as fans are all most concerned about now is like we didn't we didn't see it. We the writing mm. it, it it was there on the wall, but we didn't see it. So, my question for you is how much better do you think that the Cardinals are on paper at this point? than they were last year. And how do you think that might play out on the field in, in 2024? Can we hope for anything better? So I was like, as I recall, I think I was last man off of the Cardinals disaster last season on baseball is that like, I just kept saying like this division stinks. Like, you know, that I think at various points, like the Reds and Pirates were winning the division. It's like, come on, come on. The Cardinals are going to turn it around in time and like, they're going to, kind of jog to 87 wins and it's, you right. know, they'll win the division or whatever. Obviously that never happened. They finished last. Um, it was a total disaster of a season. So with the, you know, with the understanding that I, I also misread and did not see their 2023 disaster coming, like, you know, it, at least they've, at least they have a t attempted to address some of the very serious problems that plagued the 23 version of the team. Obviously, I mean, we don't, I, I won't break down everything because I'm sure you, as Cardinals fans, I'm sure you guys have talked about it, but like, or as a Cardinals fan, I'm sure you guys have talked about it, but like obviously turning over 60% of your starting rotation um, and investing pretty heavily in one of those guys and Sonny Gray, who was a Cy Young contender uh, last season and a deserving Cy Young contender last season. Um, that That's big. And given some of the dollars that were tossed around, like, to me, Sonny, the, Sonny Gray's, if, you, if you're worried about how much is my team committing to X players, whatever, like I think the, the outlay for Sonny Gray to me felt like a really solid deal, both okay. probably for Sonny Gray and for the Cardinals, um, but specifically for the Cardinals in this case. Um, so I, they, they addressed that to some degree, like they're going to presumably get bulk out of Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson to varying degrees of quality, but like that will probably represent an upgrade on what they got last season. Like I was looking uh, in advance of the podcast and they were, you know, you can look at lots of different metrics, but by almost all of the metrics, they were like a bottom five, bottom six starting rotation last season. Uh, I believe Fangraphs had them as one of six teams with a, uh, a five plus ERA uh, out of their rotation. Their bullpen was, uh, maybe didn't get the headline uh, disaster uh, credit that the starting rotation did, but it was also not a net positive for the team last season. So, um, and maybe they didn't, maybe the additions to the bullpen came later in the off season and aren't quite as headline grabbing as bringing back Lance Lynn and signing Kyle Gibson and Sonny Gray. But like, you know, they added Kittredge and Middleton and, um, you know, I know they have some level of hope for, you know, the, the Ryan Fernandez ad and, um, and Jojo Romero. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that like, I can give you a lot of insight on the chances of Ryan Fernandez sticking in the Cardinals bullpen, but they Middleton and Kittredge seem like real answers to, to problems that plagued sure. them last season. And I know that like, um, you know, Katie Wu made the point on the athletic that like the Cardinals were very vocal about saying that, we want more swing and miss in our bullpen because it dot, 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 because not, not, there was not enough of that in 23 and Middleton specifically definitely 
speaks to that and addresses that given what he did in 23. So um, I am, I'm going to go right back to making, being ready to make the mistake that I did in 23, which is believing <laughs> in the Cardinals um, in part, you know, if they were in certain divisions, then I would say, well, they're not going to win. If they were in the AL West, if they were competing with the Astros uh, to me or, or some of or the Rangers, they would not necessarily be titles. If they were in the AL East or NL East, I wouldn't be considering like in a lot of divisions, but they are fortunate enough to play right. in the NL central. And, um, you know, I know everybody anticipated the Cubs getting a lot better this off season. I think they've gotten, you know, they've maybe stayed in place depending on what happens with Bellinger. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, they're certainly beatable. The, the Brewers are announcing that they are taking steps back with the Corbin Burns trade and obviously Woodruff's injury, which is not news at this point, but represents another piece of that team kind of falling by the wayside. So they're turning the page. That's an, we're, 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 we're witnessing a new Brewers era. Um, and I don't, I, I think the Reds will be competitive. Um, but it's, it's right there for the Cardinals. Um, and wow. I think they're, I, I have some cons like my concerns on offense specifically on some guys. And like at some point, Paul Goldschmidt's not going to be an MVP caliber hitter, right? It's, it's gotta happen at some point. I'm not going to try and predict what we year have like it happens, first like, baseman in the system. So that's, it's fine, but yes, that's a good point. <laughs> and like, and more like tangibly, Nolan Arenado has shown like real slippage offensively um, over the last two. Like I know he had a huge bounce back in 22, which kind of like, calmed some concerns about what did we see in our first season in 21 with the Cardinals. But like his season last year was his worst offensive season. Like if if we just put 2020 in the garbage, like yeah, that was his worst offensive season basically of any full time season in his career. So. Yes, he's still an asset. No, he doesn't suck. Like that's not what I'm saying. But like the what what level of production we get from them, I'm interested to see how that is balanced out by like some of the ascendant and legitimately interesting young players that still populate this team. Like I know it was kind of like a start and stop and like is he good season from Jordan Walker in a lot of ways, but like I'm personally still very interested to see oh, yeah. what that guy's bringing because if, if that clicks, that's a that's your next middle of the order hitter potentially mm -hmm. um, that this team needs. Mason Wynn, I know this is like top 100 prospect season uh, on a lot of different sites, The Athletic and uh, ESPN. I've read those specifically. Mason Wynn's obviously front and center in those in those lists, and you know we saw in his taste last year that uh, a he looks ready, and b like he looks potentially electric in a lot of different ways. Um, and that they've cleared out the opportunity for him to be the starter at shortstop right. next season. So like, I, there are lots of reasons to be kind of like intrigued by the lineup too. Um, they're imperfect, like all the NL central teams, but I think when we, when it gets time to like, who, we, who are we really going to pick? I think they're probably going to end up being just as viable of an option as the Cubs. Just, just what we want to hear. Just as viable as the Cubs. Well, you know. right. And I think that's what that's what ultimately bothers me about it, though, Justin, well, is that like they could they could make one or two more moves that would ensure that they just at least win the freaking NL Central. Like, come on. And I'm just so sick of 
them only playing to win the NL Central as our I think that's the frustration the majority of Cardinals fans have. And maybe this is something that's always happened and I'm just noticing it more. But do you think there are a lot of teams that kind of play it maybe a little closer to the vest like that based on what other teams in their division are doing? Like, I mean, the the Twins are another great example of the other central division, like doing just enough to make sure that they stay competitive within their division. And, you know, there's some validity to that because we know the postseason is as much of a crapshoot as it is anything. So yeah, mm-hmm. get in. That's the most important thing. But at the end of the day, these teams that are having deep postseason runs and like there's, you would know more about, you know, the percentages and stuff of like the teams who actually have a shot at it when it comes right down to it. But is that something that's happening like more than usual in with like maybe the the disparity that we see in payrolls? Or is it just something that I'm more aware of? No, I mean, I think there's something to, for sure to the idea that the changes that Major League Baseball have instituted in terms of how many teams are making the postseason um, right. and how the, you know, the the de facto salary cap is structured. Like there, there are incentives in play to, I think, uh, Obviously, there are always incentives in play to discourage spending in professional sports. Like that's what that's what the owners always are looking for, right? So that's not right. groundbreaking. But like, um, th- there has long been an effort to disconnect, um, how, like quality of performance on the field, or how much am I spending on the 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 roster, the on field product, and how much money am I making, uh, like net on on this major league baseball operation and all of the real estate around it and all of the fun that goes on around baseball like if if you can disconnect that from do i have to field a good team then you know your incentive to like you may still be incentivized to like to not be the a's but to to behave like maybe the dodgers are behaving this offseason where it seems like they're just rampaging major league baseball or to, or to do what the Ranger, like it's people are focusing on the Dodgers cause it's obviously the newest thing and it happened with Otani, but, um, but like the Dodgers, you know, spent a lot of money on Simeon and Seager primarily, but not just them, several other people too, to, to put a really high quality product on the field and to expedite the rebuild that was going on internally with some of the other people, like, you know, Evan Carter was brought up, um, you know, young money, as D- as Dallas likes to say, like uh, there were important young contributors to their World Series uh, run or the regular season as well. But um, you know, the Phillies they they've they've invested heavily in free via free agency and 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 in the case of Nola, bringing back <clears throat> guys that they developed internally. So um, it's it's not universal that teams are not behaving this way, but there I think there are a lot larger percentage of what we used to consider kind of big market or big medium markets where they're just like, you know, do are we really going to spend that extra two hundred and twenty five million? I don't know. I don't know that we're incentivized to do so anymore. Um, and that's by design in a lot of ways. And I I personally think it's bad. Like I. I was probably pretty shrill. Like when I used to work at MLB, I'm sure many of my coworkers found it to be quite shrill after a while. The, you know, some of my 
perspectives on like, you know, what was good for baseball or whatever, but um, I don't think that's in the long-term interest of baseball, but you know, these, these owners are more interested in, you know, the, the short and medium term prospects for that slice of their overall, you know, financial portfolio or investment. And that's, you know, the danger of having baseball ownership in the hands that it's largely in currently. Right. 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 Well, um, I mean, with that said, we'll ask, I'm going to ask one final question and then we'll let you go, um, Justin. So uh, with the Orioles, you know, changing, changing hands, um, the AL East has gotten uh, much more scary. So how many more games do you think the Orioles will win this season? And are they the, are they now the, the AL East favorite? So let me make sure I'm understanding the question. How many more games than they won last season? Correct. They won a lot last season. I yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I I guess I will I think answer. They won 99 with, games. They won 101. The, the Orioles. Okay. The Orioles. Yeah. I yeah. I'm gonna say that they win fewer games than they did last season. Actually, while maybe being a really? like qualitatively better team. So I think. Interesting. I, I think. Okay. Yeah, I think the Corbin Burns acquisition is about as like perfect of a trade acquisition as can exist um, for a team. Like I, that's probably how I would describe once the Juan Soto acquisition too, because you're talking about like real acute needs uh, on teams that, and they went out mm-hmm. and solved them with probably the best single solutions that were available to those problems. Uh, and in the case of Corbin Burns, since that's the one with like that's relevant right now, like the price paid seemed extremely palatable given um, you know, he, he, it's a rental as of right now. Like you can right. pay to extend him, but you're paying for the one season in terms of what you're paying in prospects. Um, and the depth of the, the Oreo system and what they gave up, like the Joey Ortiz guy that they gave up, he was like their sixth best shortstop prospect or something like that. Mm-hmm. Even if he's like a very, very good shortstop prospect, that's going to immediately provide potential impact for the Brewers. Like, so I think the Orioles are probably the best team on paper in the AL to start the season with Corbin Burns, um, both both AL East and the AL overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would not pick them to win. I probably will not pick any team other than maybe the Dodgers. I don't know what the Dodgers over-under is going to be set at. It's probably going to be like pretty stupid, um, <laughs> and, I, and right. I may have to avoid it. I think the Braves and the Dodgers are kind of like um, they are still a tier above everybody else in my mind, talent wise in major league baseball. Um, But I would say that the Orioles with the Burns acquisition have separated themselves within the AL East and probably within the AL overall, all due respect to, to the Rangers, because I, I, like there's internal growth potential with the Orioles that I think is hard to match with any other roster in right. baseball, both offensively sure. and, and listen, like every every prospect system has, you know, Jackson Holiday is number one. Um, right. They have their they they either have had or do currently have their overall system is like the best system in baseball. So it's like whatever. I'm not telling. I'm not breaking any news here, but. Even the even if we ignore the prospect rankings and focus on guys who were already on the major league roster last season, like the stuff you saw from Grayson Rodriguez 
um, over his final 10, 10 to 12 starts last season was super, super encouraging, I think. And given his prospect pedigree and minor league performance, yep. like kind of the stuff that you would expect to see. Um, and if, if he's legit and you have Corbin Burns and all of a sudden Kyle Bradish is like your, your 2A, 2B or number three starter. And then everything starts to make more sense. And like his season of like, you know, is two nine ERA or whatever he put up is like, okay, he could regress off of that a little bit and still be like an amazingly effective number three starter for us. So, um, and then all the upside that they possess offensively with, you know, I think we all expect another step from Gunnar Henderson, et cetera, et cetera. So like a lot of people, I'm extremely um, hopeful on the Orioles season. And I think they're clearly the best team in the division. Um, but expecting anyone to win 101 games is, is tough sledding, uh, particularly in, in the AL right now, I think. Okay. So less, so less games, but you think they will win the AL East over the Yankees? Yeah, I if you if I'm being pressed for an answer on February 5th and I reserve the right to change this uh, officially on baseball's dead, I would take the Orioles first and I would take the Yankees second and Rays third. I think it's going to be uh which would put the Blue Jays fourth, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. But I, I think yeah. I think it's going to be much the same as it was last year where you have like three to four teams competing for the postseason legitimately for the vast majority of the season and um, who falls out of that of those four? I guess TBD. Like I could see it being right. the Rays. Like maybe this isn't the season where things work out. They're they're obviously going to be missing their uh, their best uh, their core offensive player forever. Um, yeah. And you know, so maybe it's the year things don't quite work out for them with the pitching injuries they suffered last year. But um, I'm also optimistic on the and the Yankees for. You know, maybe we can talk about that on a different appearance, I guess. But, um, but I, I would take the Orioles. Yes. You think Carlos Rodon bounces back? Um, I I don't know that I'm ever comfortable <laughs> betting on Carlos Rodon. Okay. I mean, that's a bad proposition over the course of his career to have bet on him in any given season. Um, I think they did enough this offseason to like kind of calm some of the fears that I had about like some of the super inappropriately bad players who were getting time for them offensively last season. Like we're not going to see kind of those like total zeros, I don't think. Um, and obviously they added Juan Soto who's one of the five best player offensive players in the AL now and a potential future all of famer. Um, and I, you know, listen, I know Marcus Stroman is a disappointment um, as your primary pitching acquisition. If you're a Yankees fan, like I know they had dreams of bigger things, um, but he mm -hmm. does help. If, if we're looking at it from the perspective of instead of, is he, is he exciting? Is if the question is, does he help you? Then the answer is unquestionably yes. yes. And if right. he's on the team that I think the expectations for like what I need out of Carlos Rodon, do I need Carlos Rodon for this team to win the world series? Probably yes. Um, do I need him to be a wild card team or to win ninety games? I, I, I don't think they do actually. So if he can give them number two pitching level performance, then I think they're just as nasty as basically any team in, in the AL. That's a huge if, as big of an if as exists. Basically, <laughs> any sort of innings at all, Carlos Rodon, that would the Yankees would appreciate you. Yeah. 
So, um, well, Justin, thank you so much for spending some time with us tonight and chatting about um, all all of the things. Uh, we really appreciate you. Can you tell the people where they can find you on socials, shows, all of that fun stuff? Yeah. Before I do that, though, can I ask you one last question? For sure. Because in, in the you guys were kind enough to send me questions ahead of time, um, mm -hmm. and we hit almost all of them. But one of them we didn't hit that I prepared for to some degree, and I actually want to hear your opinion on it because it was who, if anyone from the Astros is going to the Hall of Fame next. Yeah. And I think Justin Verlander's obvi obviously he's a lock. Yeah. But where would you set the over under at if you had to set it at a number on Astros, the current roster, the number of people who end up in the Hall of Fame? Whether that's an Astros cap or not, just, just these yeah. Astros uh, in the Hall of Fame. Um, two for sure, three maybe, but two for so, sure. So Verlander, I'm assuming the for sure is a Verlander and Altuve. Mm -hmm. That's what I'd say from the outside looking yeah. in. Okay, yep. and the and the the TBDs are, I mean, the TBDs are are Jordan, and um, if that guy behind me, Tucker. Yep. doesn't fall completely off, I think he has a chance. I mean, really and truly, it should have been Billy Wagner, but I, I won't go on my whole tirade there. Um, but, yeah. JV, Jose, Jordan, Tucker. Yeah, it's interesting, because I wonder, obviously, yeah, obviously Verlander's a lock. Um, a lot of time has to, is going to pass before Jose Altuve's career is being litigated. And I'm interested to f see how the voters treat his involvement in the scandal because oh, yeah. he's going to end up with a very, very compelling statistical Hall of Fame case. And what's also interesting, because like I think last season in a lot of ways, well, I should say the last two seasons, the last two seasons to me changed the whole trajectory of what we're talking about with Jose Altuve because – Prior entering 2022, you had a player who was like, this guy kind of looks like he's in decline. Like I know 2021 mm -hmm. was a good season, but it was coming off like kind of a loss 2020. It was like, and it was a, it was a clear step down from his previous work. And it was like, and the last two seasons, I know last year was partial, but goddamn, when he came back from the, from the injury list, he was one of the best offensive players in baseball, regardless of position. And what's also yeah. interesting about his Hall of Fame case outside of the whole Astros thing is how will the second basemen that are on the ballot currently or coming up soon be treated? Because Chase Utley was not treated very well in his first go at 28.8%. He was a guy I would stump for. And coming up next year are Dustin Pedroia and Ian Kinsler, who I think most people, when they hear those names at first blush, are like, ah, Hall of Very Good. And maybe that's where they end up and maybe that's where they belong, but they both deserve pretty extensive discussions. And I would encourage anybody who's interested in this kind of stuff to go to their baseball reference page and really look at Ian Kinsler and Dustin Pedroia and look at where some of their stats rank historically uh, among second basemen, because how they fare, I think is going to be interesting with Altuve because Altuve has got, I think a peak level and hardware I know Pedroia has an MVP too, but like 
He's got, I think, overall hardware and accolades that those other people do not have. Mm -hmm. But I think he also mm -hmm. has complications that those other people do not have. So yep. um, I, I would be, I think it would be cool if they all ended up in there uh, as opposed to none of them. Uh, that's the way I'd rather have it. I'd rather see all four of those second basemen in the Hall of Fame than none of them end up. But I, I am curious to, that's why I asked you because I think the other guys are clearly TBD, like, it's tough to say about Jordan and Tucker and that kind of stuff, but right. Altuve is that inflection point. Yeah. Well, like I said, I only started watching baseball in 2018. <laughs> He's clean uh, in my book. So, uh. Right. So <laughs> when, when all of these like hall of fame arguments come up for, you know, like, like this last hall of fame ballot, um, people, people were asking my opinion. I'm like, I'll be, I'll just be really honest with you. And I only really only know about one of these guys and really only mm -hmm. care about one of these guys. And that was Billy Wagner, obviously. And, yeah. um, someone had asked me about, um, Francisco Rodriguez and what, what I thought about him. And I was like, don't know, can't tell you. <laughs> I'm like, I'll do some research and I'll, I'll get back to you. And so when these, when you say like Dustin Pedroia and Chase Utley, like I recognize the names, but I have no frame of reference on how well they played or how poorly they played. And so again, I have to do my research, but well, when those, when like Jose Altuve's name comes up on the ballot, like I will, I will have known <laughs> all of guys. Yeah. Ideally like they, when, you know, when that, when they go on that ballot. And so then I can make some informed um, arguments for against all of that fun stuff. So, you know, like, but like looking at, the baseball reference page for Jose Altuve uh, sim under similar batters. It's Hanley Ramirez and then Dustin Pedroia. And so, and then Joe Maurer. Well, excuse me, Brandon Phillips, and then Joe Maurer. So, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to talk about people who are similar in ranking, then, you know, where, but I, by and large, I do not think that Jose Altuve will get into the hall of fame until like the very, very end. And it will, and it will always be a, a wide argument for against, especially with like all of the, the people with the PEDs and all of that stuff, listening to those writers talk about how they talk about the PED guys. And then I'm, you know, I'm like, well, you know, yeah. Do the things, but you know what? That's neither here nor there. You know, you're really not gonna listen to the to those arguments. So it's it's one of those where you're like, hmm, what personal opinion? And I think being on the team forever, I think will will help him. Hopefully, well, I mean, I, I know you guys already basically did my sign off, so this is the last thing that I'll say. But <laughs> the the uh, it's gonna be hard for me to stomach any writers who are going to keep him out of the hall of fame based on the, this, the scandal or like some sort of morality play or something like yeah. that. When we already have evidence that he's been welcomed back into the fold during his career. And that I know it's not the exact, it's not an apples and apples comparison of who's voting for the MVP and who votes for the hall of fame. But like there are writers who are, actively voting for this man to receive MVP credit while he's playing baseball. Like in 21, he finished 18th and last year, or sorry, in 22, he finished fifth in the MVP voting. So like, and had he played enough games last season, he would have been in the MVP conversation again. So um, that's not a convert. That's not a rationale that I'm going to be interested in hearing. Obviously 
you, it's, I'm giving it away that I'm probably going to be in favor of Altuve in the Hall of Fame. But like, I, mean, I agree as someone who's not, you know, I, I don't have that fandom attachment that you do, Susie. And hmm. I completely agree. And I think that's such an interesting point of conversation that you bring up, Justin, is that's one of my favorite conversations to have in regards to the hall is the comparison and how it all plays out over time and how that changes the trajectory of who gets into it over time. So I think that's a really interesting thing to think about right now and to follow. We'll see. We'll come on. We'll do another one hopefully sooner, but then we'll do another revisit for uh, Altuve's induction. Would love that. Book for it. sure. For sure. Yeah. Don't grind. I mean, too hopefully hard. you'll come Don't on. Don't grind too hard between now and then. You're going <laughs> to grind yourself into dust. You didn't tell us where we right. can follow you. Oh, at J Hey Kid uh, on Twitter, uh, J A Y H A Y K I D uh, on Twitter. That's really the only place where uh, I do anything interesting. If you want to follow on Instagram, it's the same thing with eight five at the end. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Susie Kelsey, I appreciate you guys having me uh, on the podcast. It's been fun talking with you guys. Well, we, you know, like I said, we appreciate you coming on and spending spending some time um, with us. You know, thankfully, it wasn't as long as you spend with, you know, Dallas and, and Jared on, on Baseball Stead. So. <laughs> Where we rival that, but uh, yeah, let's not try tonight. <laughs> no, we can do we'll, we'll go for we'll go for three hours next time we do we do an episode. It's funny. We do three for, hours. For sure. and Joey, Joey can barely get a comment in. Um, poor guy. <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, thank you. I appreciate, I appreciate talking with you guys. It was fun. Uh, again, we appreciate you, Justin. I will put all of Justin's, um, social links, um, all of the podcast links in the, uh, show description. Um, again, guys, we are still hanging tough on the Apple podcast charts in Spain and in Japan and in Korea, United States. I don't know where the fuck y'all are at, but get get on board because we need you okay yeah, exactly. so five After stars dead, come over here mm -hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> none of my none of our podcasts are as long as baseball is dead so like i'm just saying shorter shorter episodes guys shorter episodes so i'm um, ready to grow my international brand based off of what you just said mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah well uh you know i um i don't know if you know this or not but we're we're a pretty big deal in uh, Spain and Japan <laughs> and Korea. So, you know, I did not. I know now. Yeah. Yeah. Now you do. Now you do. So, um, but if you guys already haven't, please hit that red subscribe button, tell all of your friends and give us five stars because we like five stars and all of the nice words, all of the nice words. No, no, no mean words because um, I will find you and maybe throw a punch you. I don't know. We'll see. Um, we'll see how much bail money I have. But uh, with that said, we appreciate all of you guys. And um, with that, we are going to sign off and hit and record. And yay, baseball. Oh. <laughs>